Welcome to the EquipCast for the Archdiocese of Omaha. Designed to help leaders to transform their cultures, to embody the pastoral vision, to be one church, encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy. Hey everybody, welcome to the EquipCast. My name is Jim Jansen. I am the Director of Pastoral Services here for the Archdiocese of Omaha. I'm here today with my regular co-host, Father Jeff Lorig. Father, how are you doing? Hey, Jim, I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm, I'm actually great. Uh, I spilled my tea not too long before we started <clears throat> hitting record for this episode, so uh, I think I'm dried out. Um, little little short on tea, but other than that, I'm actually having a, having a fantastic day. Okay, well, don't don't cry over spilled tea. Yeah, I did, hadn't done on me, but sure. Okay, gosh, I'll write that down. Um, although, yeah, if you spill like hot, really hot liquids on yourself, like I feel like that's a different level of like you, there's some permission to cry there. So, or at least Whatever. like, yep. or at least start to sweat out of your eyeballs. Okay, so I am super excited about today's episode. Some of you know we've referenced her before, uh, Whitney, the producer. Whitney is the behind the scenes. Uh, genius of the equip cast today we're gonna let her turn on her mic we're gonna actually hear the voice of whitney the producer whitney are you there i am hello all right so whitney we always start this way anytime we have a guest even if that guest is you know like an insider and and the one who actually helps to edit and produce the podcast whitney what's your what's your story where are you from how'd you meet jesus tell us about yourself yeah, uh, born and raised in Omaha, Nebraska, and love living here. It's my favorite place to be. Um, faith journey, though, uh, I was really actually very gratified a couple of weeks ago to hear Deacon Tim talk about his, where it was just very natural of like, well, I'm just mm -hmm. kind of always been this way, because I really resonated with that. Um, I think the grace of God got me here. I did not grow up in a I would say super Catholic family. Um, my mom is practicing, my dad is not. Uh, I was taught my prayers and things like that, but praying together was maybe around like the dinner table. And then you just say the rote prayer, you don't. I wasn't taught these extra things, but the Lord had a plan for my life, still has a plan for my life. And so I can just see these beats in my childhood um, where he really just entered in through the sacraments, through my love of scripture, and just gave my childlike faith guidance. And, you know, I just had this like really solid prayer life as a child. <laughs> and, um, okay, I, St. Therese, that's great. <laughs> well, maybe not anymore, but, <laughs> but I look back and I'm very grateful uh, for those, those things you know, so, so other than the grace of God, I can't really say what got me here, but here I am and I love it. Yeah. And here, at least physically at this moment, happens to be a building called the Chancery for the Archdiocese of Omaha. Uh, so Whitney, you work here at the Chancery as, as do I, what, uh, what do you do here? What's your, what's your job description? <laughs> I get asked this a lot lately and I feel like it's the question of the hour. So as the listening audience probably knows, I'm taking on some new roles, like as producer and whatnot, but my job title is actually a coordinator of the Respect Life Apostolate. So uh, issues of human dignity go through my office in one way or another. I spend a lot of time working with parish pro-life coordinators or um, just connecting. There's a lot, there's a very vibrant pro-life community in the archdiocese. And so I spend a lot of time connecting the right people with the right people. That's fantastic. That's super convenient because that's what I was hoping we could talk about today. <laughs> so, no, okay, we did kind of plan this. With the, so to get us started here, uh, we want to talk about, you know, pro-life issues, human dignity issues, but I, I feel the need for a disclaimer as, as we get started here. Like the goal of this episode, this is an equip cast, is to really equip individuals who are listening to have more fruitful conversations with other individuals, other people, person-to-person uh, -person conversations around the pro-life issue. We've had some conversations about this, obviously off-air, ahead of this. I'm so excited about, I think, what you're going to be able to share, Whitney, and to communicate that. But I want to be clear, like, we have 
no desire to disparage anyone who is working in the political realm for human dignity and life issues. Um, we, we get as much as we can. It's really difficult to wrap your mind around. Uh, what I would say is that, you know, abortion is the, the genocide of our age. As much as we can wrap our, our, our minds around the horror that that is, I think we have. So if in any way we, you know, just quick disclaimer, like if any way it sounds like we're, we're discounting some of the other methods and modes of working towards a culture of life, and if any way it sounds like we're, we're not respecting or acknowledging just the enormity of the issue, that that is in no way our intent. What we want to do is we want to equip people to have more fruitful conversations with other people. And the fact that we had to have a disclaimer is, I think, relevant Right. It, it just, it, it's signify, it's, telling. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. telling to the, that this is a controversial topic, even among pro-lifers. And like, there's a lot of pro-lifers that are, are differing on the ways to evangelize in a culture of yeah. death. And that's, so is there a right way to do it? Is there a wrong way to do it? Or is there, should you be doing it? And um, mm. that's, I think, where we're at. Like, I, literally, we had a conversation before we hit record about like, gosh, we don't want to get any phone calls, but we just want to help people. And I think we want to wrap our mm -hmm. minds around it as well and see what, what has Whitney been learning as she works with um, kind of the, the cutting edge on the front lines, people who are working in the uh, pro-life movements of the world. So um, it is some fascinating stuff because I think I'm probably still stuck in, you know, 1991, you know, how, what I learned in, in high school or, or, or college about how to fight the, the abortion movement. Mm. And I think there's a, there's a lot of studies that have been done recently that I think have really been eye-opening for me. And they, they're in line with what I know about evangelization as well. So, yeah, that's huge. Father. Thank you for, I mean, thank you for acknowledging that. And I would say if anybody else feels the same way, if you're listening to this and if what we share, you find challenging and it's, it's new to you in some of the context, like uh, that's okay. I mean, <laughs> Father Laura, you know, uh, pretty darn uh, good priest and pastor here one of the most avid kind of learners of cultural trends. Like it's easy to let the culture get ahead of us and to forget and to kind of lose perspective on this. And so if you are laboring for life and human dignity, even at the most basic levels, wherever and however you're doing that, thank you. And if you're tired and if you're feeling a little lonely, like you've been carrying this yourself, I want to say, Again, thank you. You're not alone. Um, we desire to be an encouragement and a help to you. But if nothing else, know that Jesus and the Father appreciate your work and your labors. And even if they never go recognized, um, and even if you don't get to see the fruit this side of heaven, we, we actually believe that there are supernatural benefits to those who are laboring for the kingdom, and especially for those who are small and vulnerable. Okay, Whitney, do you have a disclaimer? I actually do. So okay, we're um, on a roll. I think you mostly took the words right out of my mouth. And I just wanted to like give a note of thanks to all the people in the pro-life movement who, um, big or small, how much, however much they've contributed, have done the work thus far. Because we're going to talk about the culture that we find ourselves in. And mm -hmm. by recognizing that it is... Um, has changed and that the methods maybe need to change to meet it is not mm. at all to say that the work that went before was bad or wrong or ineffective. I think it was incredibly effective. I think some very beautiful uh, truths were proclaimed, um, you know, just by proclaiming the truth about what life is in the womb, we got very far. It's just that we now find ourselves in a wildly different culture that um, saying the things that we did even 15 years ago just isn't met with the same response. Gosh, Whitney, thank you for saying that. Cause as you say that, I mean, my heart fills with gratitude because, you know, this is, this isn't, well, I mean, it is my podcast, but this one isn't supposed to be about me, <laughs> but like, I, like my personal journey, I went, there was a time in my life and, you know, late high school and college where I was very far off the rails and there was very little of my life that would have kind of remained, uh, that, con that continued to think with the church. But one of the things that anchored me and kept me was I knew I was pro-life. 
what I had learned in the early 90s about like, it's really a baby, that made a big difference for me. And it was a saving grace. It was an anchor that probably kept me from going even farther afield from the church. And my, my journey back in faith and intellectually was easier because I had this big anchor that had never left. So yeah, I, I join your, your, your thanks. And it's personal now. And I don't know if I'd ever quite connected that in the same way that I did just now. So, all right, Whitney, give us, just kind of set the table for us here. You've referenced it a couple of times, like talk to us about the culture we're in right now, particularly obviously from the perspective of human dignity and the question of abortion. Yeah. So I think you just kind of named a little bit of it that those of us who grew up maybe Catholic or just with a strong conviction that life in the womb is human, that it is a child worthy of dignity, all those things. We have a hard time seeing what's going on in the more secular culture. But if we kind of back up and just look at some basic statistics, the majority of people alive right now can't remember a time when abortion was not legal. So by this, I'm really talking about just the greatest generation and boomers have a memory of what the culture was like pre-1973. But they're, but they're the only ones now. Yeah. Some Gen Xers obviously were born before that, but like they're so young, they can't remember what the culture was before Roe versus Wade. And then you add to that the very large amount of women who have had abortions. And when we say women, that includes men, grandparents, siblings, Everyone around that woman is touched by that woman's abortion, whether they know she had it or not. Uh, so the statistic is that one in four women by the age of 45 will have had an abortion in the U.S. Uh, it used to be oh, one so, in I'm sorry, three. Can, you just, can you say that again? I mean, I don't want to hear that again, <laughs> but I don't yeah. want anybody to have to like, wait, you know, hit the, hit the 30 second back. Can you say that again? Yeah, so the Guttmacher Institute, which gets all of its research from um, numbers supplied by Planned Parenthood, says that one in four women by the age of 45 will have had an abortion. And this is actually down, it used to just a couple of years ago, be one in three women. So abortion rates are dropping, so that's a hopeful sign. Uh, but what it tells me is that there's a very large swath of the United States that is affected by abortion, either having had it themselves or mm -hmm. knowing someone who has it. And even if that, that someone has never told you, if they haven't received healing, they're still living out of that trauma. Uh, and that affects mm -hmm. their relationships. It affects the way they interact with the world. It affects um, the way they want to be spoken to about certain issues and the way, like if you grow up with a, someone in your family that way, you're influenced by that too. Gosh, that's huge. What is that? I mean, I'm, you know, kind of having a hard time wrapping my mind around it. What does that mean? Like, what is that? What would tell us about the significance of that? Because I know you've thought about this. Yeah. So I know there's no, no statistics to, to back this up. This is just my own personal, like I've been living with this for five years. I've been in this job for five years. So I've been thinking about this for five years. And I'm really convicted that we live in a post-abortive culture that in the United States, the majority of the culture is living out of a place where abortion is a viable answer to a woman in crisis. And it was the answer for many, many women and families. And so for a lot of people, abortion is, in air quotes, the compassionate answer. Uh, mm -hmm. And it was such an intimate, personal answer for either the woman herself or someone who knows her, whoever you are in that situation, um, that to say to that woman or anyone around her that that choice was wrong uh, feels like a personal attack. It's like very visceral and it evokes an incredibly strong emotional response. It's not really coming from people who are pro-choice for the most part. I mean, I would say there are extremes on both, both sides. Right. Um, there's always extremes, but for the most part, people are pro-choice because they feel compassion for the woman because they have a strong emotional response to the issue of abortion. So they're they're coming from emotion, not rationality. Right. Which I can already. I mean, 
there's a part of me that like the, the intellect in me wants to make a distinction. It's false compassion, but mm-hmm. that just kind of illustrates it's like kind of it seems like the typical pro-life response is to appeal to the mind. And what you're saying is for many, that's that's not the, the place to appeal to them. Not at the outset. Right. I do think there's a place for truth. And and I I want to make that clear. Like yeah. Are we, we, really fan, we took a poll just among the three of us. We're, I think we're all fans of truth, right? Just like <laughs> wanted to double check. Yeah, we are. I'm a big fan. But we're talking about, we're, we're talking about in the realm of practice, how do we win hearts and minds? Mm-hmm. It's, so the one in four statistic for me means uh, that I have to think twice about what I say. And especially what, with, if it's from the pulpit or if it's, uh, it's on Facebook, uh, I'm, I just have to expect that somebody's going to react in a very emotional, visceral way, depending on what I say. So I just have to realize yeah. that, I, as you said, your words, the post-abortive culture. And so um, it is certainly part of our culture, even in the Catholic Church, right? Are these, are these numbers, now a lot of us kind of live in Catholic bubbles and we say, well, I don't know anybody. Are there some mm-hmm. other statistics that would say, like, actually it's the general population or Catholics are just, just the same as everybody else? Yeah. Um, let me look it up real quick. <laughs> there, there is, I don't know if, um, if I remember it off the top of my head. Um, but another one of my statistics, I, I may just have to like link it in the show notes for you guys. Uh, Cause I can't remember, but it's, there's, there's a surprising amount of women who within the month of their abortion were in a church so that's not catholic or protestant but they were in a Mm -hmm. church they're in our pews they're hearing our messages so you just have to imagine as a preacher there's going to be people in your pews that will respond in a certain way now i have family that are very pro-life but they're also pro-choice as they would say all right they've been catholic their whole lives and they try to go to the catholic church but what happened was like it's for them and they're probably exaggerating a little bit like it seemed like every homily was like the anti-abortion homily and everything mm-hmm. sort of ended up with that. And, uh, and they just got like turned off. They were not convinced. They actually just thought, well, we're just going to go to another church. Now, thankfully they found another Catholic church where the, the message was a little bit more positive about how we help women, how we help society. But I, I know when I didn't uh, go real strong uh, with them, like, no, abortion is murder. Are you guys crazy? It's like, it's the genocide of our times. Like, are you crazy? And they would say, mm-hmm no, you're crazy. Like it's, I didn't go that route. And what actually happened was I was able to enter into really deep conversation with them about, tell me more about what that does when you hear that. Tell me more about mm-hmm. like what the issues are for you so I can understand how to be a better preacher and a better pastor. Well, and I would say just even what you were saying about the fact that they were exaggerating that it felt like every homily was about abortion speaks to that really strong emotional response that they're mm-hmm. having because those are the memories that we hang on to the, the um, but it did... strong emotion register like we if it's if you don't no, no offense father but some homilies are forgettable <laughs> but the ones that elicit strong emotion in us are remembered and that's all they remembered and so it seemed to them like every homily was about it so I'll have to, again, look up that statistic about how many were in a church within the month of their abortion, but um, about 24% of abortion patients uh, who claim a religious affiliation are Catholic. So that's about one-fourth of people receiving abortions are, on paper, Catholic. Yeah, which is about the same general percentage of Catholics in the population. It's about this. We'll have to bring our mathematician and your our statistician. <laughs> yeah, Whitney, I I just want to ask one other question because I think this this underscores what you're saying about kind of the post-abortive culture, this kind of emotional visceral reaction, it, and that is oftentimes I've heard that who can speak more eloquently in theory to the horrors of abortion than a woman who's experienced it. And yet, I think I hear what you're saying is, yes, but just because someone has experienced it as awful doesn't mean that they're not reacting with really strong emotion and 
just because it was a, a, an awful and traumatic experience to them doesn't mean that they're yet ready to say that they made the wrong choice. We can't approach a woman in crisis or a post-abortive woman as if they're reacting rationally. They often hold opposing truths. Um, they know, even subconsciously, typically, that the fetus is human, that they're killing a child. I mean, that's a common misconception by the pro-life movement. If I just tell them it's a child, they'll, they'll realize the truth, um, but they already know the truth. And so they know it's murder, and yet they choose it. They think murder is wrong. So they hold those dichotomies. Um, they often also will say that abortion is the unforgivable sin, and yet they also hold, while choosing it, this feeling that God will forgive me. But you can imagine those conflicting truths that they're holding on to. They're not both true, but you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, they're going to have these strong emotions. They may say it was a horrendous experience and yet still refer someone else for abortion because it was the answer for them and they're not willing yeah. to say or face that shame or, or say that it was wrong or whatever the case may be. What is usually going through the mind of a woman when they're in this crisis? Yeah. Um, so again, you can't think of, they're not thinking rationally. Um, it's a very emotional response. And so they are really experiencing a identity crisis, I guess you could say. But um, so anything that we know that the majority of women having abortions are basically college age. So um, the example I'm going to use is, you know, um, a woman who's in college. So she's got this future planned out for herself. Um, she may want children. She may want a family, but not yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, if she has a child now, it'll cut short her education, it'll cut short her career plans. She lives in a culture where she's supposed to be able to be a strong, successful woman, but somehow having a child will keep her from doing that. And so when she finds herself pregnant, what she faces is a different identity, and that's the identity of mother. And that's pitted against this other identity that she's built up for herself to the point that she feels like, if I become a mother, it is the same as killing myself. It's death of self. Like, that's what she feels so strongly that abortion becomes the least of the evils that she could choose. So the choice is to either kill yourself, sacrificing your own identity, her own identity, or kill the child and save herself. That's really what's happening. Mm -hmm. Now, you did not just come up with this on your own. This You're not like sitting here speculating like, well, this is what I think what's going through the heart. Like there's been some really great studies done, right? Yes. Is it the Vitae Foundation? The Vitae they... Foundation, um, yes, has been commissioned to do several studies. The one that I'm referring to, you can read it pretty easily in a First Things article called Abortion, a Failure to Communicate. Um, I'll also link it in the show notes. It's uh, quite good. I think it's very eye-opening. It was actually published in 1998. So this is like not new research, but I think a lot of people just have never heard of it before. Yeah, it, but it's, I mean, it's like, I, I actually know this. We actually had a conversation before the show and you're still blowing my mind again. This is huge. Cause again, to be clear, these are really intelligent, really rational, capable women who now faced with this crisis, this, this news that they're pregnant, it spawns this identity crisis, which makes the, the, the choice in front of them, like they're, they're not evaluating it from a rational, it, it's this kind of like, I mean, really, it's like, it's like they're trapped on a ledge and they're kind of making, they're making this, uh, it's, it seems like this no-win situation. Yeah, and so when, um, you know, well-intentioned people meet a woman in crisis and they say, oh, but being a parent is so beautiful, or adoption exists, they're actually just feeding into the sphere that she already has. And so if you read Abortion, a Failure to Communicate, abortion becomes the least of three evils. Uh, parenting is the, the second least and adoption is actually the worst. And the, the way she's thinking about it is abortion, okay, the child dies, but I live, and that was self-defense, so it makes sense. If I choose to parent, uh, still someone dies, I die, but I sacrifice myself for the child. So that's, um, you know, the next of the, but she still sees it as evil, right? Uh, or as she a dies, death, a lot. Right, because there's a yeah. death. Uh, and then adoption, 
it's basically not only did I did I die, did my identity die, uh, but I became a bad mother because I abandoned my child. Now, I just like right away want to be very clear uh, that while we know that's not the case, that adoption has come so far from where it used to be, that we're still, we're basically fighting a system that used to be incredibly unhealthy. Uh, so a birth mother can now choose her parents. I mean, there's so, so, so many people wanting to adopt and there's not enough babies out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can literally handpick your parents uh, and then they can, with open adoptions, you can, you can choose the amount of interaction you want with the child going forward. But we are just facing an uphill battle with abortion because um, of vocabulary, like um, we still say like she gave up and her her child for abortion and you really should say like you mean adoption or sorry yes, yes. gave yes, up yeah. their child for adoption and you should really say placed for adoption mm-hmm. like there's better words and better language and adoption practices are now much better than they used to be but we're fighting that stigma and so the majority of the culture still sees adoption as an evil because you're you're abandoning your child to who knows what so even though, and again, God bless you know those of you who who are who have been adopted, who have, who are adopting kids. It's this beautiful reality in any circumstance, but even more so as the system has changed. Adoption is really a beautiful option, and yet in many people's minds, they're they're like thinking little orphan Annie, and you know my child's going to end up being raised by Miss Hannigan and <laughs> mm-hmm. Mrs. Hannigan. I think anyway, like that. You're saying that the, the cultural perception of what adoption is has not caught up with it. For the most part, no. I think a lot of good strides are being made, but for the most part, no. Um, and and again, you know, it's still she still died. She still became a mother, and so it still goes back to that death of self that she's dealing with, and so that's what makes abortion the least of three evils, and all three she considers evil. Right. But she feels trapped. I have to choose one. Mm-hmm. One is more hidden. One is more seemingly private. The others are longer and public. I would just mention today, like uh, today as we record this in Argentina, our Holy Father's homeland, they just passed a law in their lower court to legalize abortion. Mm-hmm. So it had been a crime against life and uh, and still is, but obviously... I don't know how their political system works or the government system works, but uh, uh, I just see all these uh, young people in in the streets and who knows what the media is propaganding. I don't know if that's a word, but uh, uh, how, what kind of propaganda is going on there? But uh, you know, you just see these large crowds of of young people, like oh, finally we have this freedom, and uh, so clearly something's going on down there, obviously, and and whatever debate had been going on that was working before, because talk about a country that's held out for a long time yeah um it's probably time for a new debate or at least a a reframing of the debate right whitney yeah new. i don't know we don't we can't speak for argentina but at least here in the united states (laughs) i'm like yeah i don't know a lot about argentina but um the simple idea of like whatever was working before is not working now and we've been living it now for a gen almost a, a generation more i mean we're now what year oh it's 2020 Right. So yeah. my good, we, like Argentina is just starting down this road and we, we've been down this road for a long time now. And there are so many people who've experienced it. I mean, to your point earlier. Yeah. But it's pretty awesome here in the United States where it's still at the forefront. It still divides our country, which is great. I mean, it's bad that there's a division, but at least there is. And, uh, so mm-hmm. I, I do feel like that, yeah, as you said at the beginning, your disclaimer, Whitney, like the work of the pro-life movement has done an amazing job to put us in this position where we are having some serious debates and division over this issue. Mm-hmm. So that's because I know my, I have friends from, from all over Europe and this, I mean, yeah, they might be pro-life, but it's like, it's a dead issue. There's no possible way. They have no influence on it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's not what they're debating about anymore. Yeah. And I think in the political realm, um, what I'm about to say may not apply, but we're at, on the Equipcaster and the business of helping individuals in the church talk to others, talk to their right. friends in the pews, talk to their neighbors, um, and really evangelize. And so 
when we talk about the debate of abortion, we're not talking about like senators calling each other out and calling a spade a spade, which I think is really important for them to do. Are you for or against life? Like take a stand, make your vote, show the people mm-hmm. what you are standing for. But when it's my neighbor who comes to me for help uh, because they know me, because they know my face, because they know that I will not judge them, hopefully they know that, um, then then I have to approach it from a different place. And what that same article, Abortion and Failure to Communicate, teaches us is that you really need to address the woman's side of the equation first. Yeah. Um, so you have to offer up, like you can't be judgmental, you can't have a stigma, and you really have to show true compassion. So that doesn't mean saying, oh yeah, abortion might be okay, but maybe understanding first, here's like enter into her suffering. Here's what you are dealing with. Let me listen to that. Let me be with you in it and offer viable options to you. Like you want to go to school? Okay, let's talk about what, how we can keep you in school. Um, yeah. You can't afford to keep this child? Okay, let's talk about how we can keep you in your apartment, how we can get you food for this week those things like you have to talk to her about her needs and not first about the child so if you say but it's a baby she's just going to retreat into those Mm -hmm. that crisis that she already has but if you can say where are you at what are you feeling what are your needs and you and you just talk about that and don't bring up the child that's going to get you a long ways and then um then you can talk about the child so basically we say it goes woman, child, God, in that order. And um, you don't bring up the next one until she's ready. Wow. So again, the context of this, this is, this is not like, this is not like, you know, public official. This is me conversing with my coworker, with my neighbor, with a, a, a woman in need. But th- this is, you know, family members over Thanksgiving. This is how you talk person to person. Mm-hmm. You said woman, child, God. Break that down a little bit for us. Like, what does it mean to talk about those? And then how do you know when you're ready? You said she will, will until she's ready or she signals that she's ready to move on. How do you know that? <laughs> That's hard. I mean, every situation is different. Um, and I would also say, like, you, you may at Thanksgiving, I mean, I know Thanksgiving's over, but at Christmas, be talking about, um, well, Christmas will be over by the time we finish this so yeah but i think they're gonna have another one next year oh okay great so any of those big like family things um you may just be talking about abortion as an abstract idea like you know is it good for the woman or not and not even recognizing uh who you're talking like that you're not talking to a woman in front of you who has a specific need but you should still start with extreme compassion for the woman because that's most likely where your family members are starting from as well. And so, but if you are talking to someone in crisis, how do you know? Um, have some emotional maturity is what I would say. Can I say that? Um, yeah, I, you just did. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. Um, I, you you got to be a little daring and, um, and, and bring it up when you think it's right. Um, maybe ask the question you know, once you've addressed some of her needs and if she doesn't have any more to list, she, you can say, can we talk about the child? Uh, or mm. can we talk about God? I know that some of our best um, pregnancy care centers around here, they will ask the question, like, can I pray with you? Or can, would you like to talk about God? But they bring it up at the end of the appointment and they respect the woman if she says no. Yeah, which seems like common sense when you say it, but I'm, I mean, I'm pained and I have to honestly admit that oftentimes we, sometimes we don't follow that common sense because, you know, on our end, maybe we're anxious or like, oh my gosh, this is like, this is a crisis situation and just being human, like, can I, you know, yeah, can I pray for you? Can we talk? Just asking for permission. Mm-hmm. It's good manners. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think if they came to you, um, they probably know that you have faith and so mm-hmm. that that's going to come up but i'm also some of those the the woman child god that's also for our sidewalk advocates um they they don't say jesus loves you i just want you to know that you know they they have 10 seconds to hook the woman and so they always start with what are your struggles what are you working with you know 
um, tell me what you need. How can I help you? How yeah. can I help you? Mm-hmm. Well, and it's, it's kind of common sense, but like, if you save the woman, you save the child. Mm-hmm. I know that's your line. Sorry to steal it, but that's. No, it's a great line. That's one of my favorites. Um, save the woman yeah. and she will save the child. Yeah. You, it's, you don't get to do that because it's, it's in her womb, you know? So, and we live in a country where she has a right to do whatever she wants with that, unfortunately. So. Whitney, can you just talk a little bit about like, so it's, let's say you're in a conversation with a woman. Um, what are the needs that you might be able to anticipate and, and, and that an ordinary person kind of on an ordinary day might be able to, to help with? And, you know, obviously there's an ideal, if there's time and openness, it could be a, a, a communal family um, engagement, you know, to provide, provide assistance to this woman. But what should, you know, if you find yourself in this conversation, what should you, what might you anticipate as needs and what are just ordinary ways that ordinary people can step into those needs? Yeah. Okay. There, <laughs> like, oh, there's so many. Um, I mean, we know statistically that a lot of women cite poverty. So that could be one. Um, education is another. Um, but there's, there's just a myriad of reasons that she could bring to you. So I would mostly say, look, you don't have to have all the answers. You can get the answers. Know that you mm-hmm. can get the answers. You can call me if you want. Uh, I'll give you the answers if I can. But there are pregnancy care centers out there. There's other people. We can find you the answers. Um, but you don't have to have the answers in the moment. A lot of women say that if they'd had that they felt coerced. And coercion, that, that feeling of coercion um, may not actually be like someone dragging them to the abortion facility. It may just be that no one seemed supportive of them. They felt coerced to have an abortion. Right. Coerced to have an abortion. And if one person had supported them, they would have chosen something different. So that like the coercion may have just been um, psychological may just have been something they were feeling because of all of the pressure of their life of the the situations that they're facing uh in having the child because they just had one person say to them i'll I'll help you through this i'll be there with you they would have chosen differently and so that's i think the number one thing you can do yeah you know as you share this i'm just drawing back you know our own archbishop lucas has this really, I mean, just very short, but really powerful ideal, just a, a, an illustration where, you know, our division and priorities for the Archdiocese of Omaha, one church encountering Jesus, equipping disciples and living mercy. And when he talks about living mercy, he will sometimes talk about the, the, the life issues. And it's like, wouldn't it be beautiful if, if when a woman found herself in need, that after the, the, the fear and the shock initially hit her, that one of her next thought, thoughts was, it'll be okay. There's a Catholic on my block. They will help me because that's what Catholics do. Yeah. I mean, because I'm thinking like, I don't, unfortunately, I don't think most of us are going to have someone come to us and say, I'm pondering abortion. Whitney, what's your thoughts on that? You know? Right. Um, what do you think? What do you think? They already I'm taking know. a poll. I've been asking all my friends. Yeah. They already know what I think. And so that's or they what I think, think they do. But I mean, I, sorry, but, this is like. Uh, no, but that's my point. They yeah. think they do, but that's where it's like we actually do need to enter into these conversations, even if it's not like we can't wait for the day that a woman comes to us. We have to enter into these conversations with the people around us. But when we do, it can't be an argument. It can't be, well, you're so wrong because you're killing a child or any of that, because I know I feel that way. Like I'm, I get really riled up, um, you know, but um, it really has to come from a place of, I see your compassion for women. I just come to a different conclusion. And let's talk about, maybe not talk about that conclusion, but let's talk about our compassion for women. So let's talk about what positive options there are out there and like keep that positive keep the conversation positive keep it hopeful keep it non-judgmental because if we portray ourselves that way in everyday conversations then you're much more likely to have your neighbor come to you when she finds herself in crisis you should hit the bell on everyday conversations
Yeah. Right. You're right, Whitney. Not everybody's going to be knocking at our door. Like, oh, there's a Catholic down the street. I'm going to go talk to them because uh, I know I'll get help. Because that is not the perception of the Catholic Church. The Church is judgmental and and uh, you know doesn't seem to be on the side of of women. The Church of no. So that's the perception. I'm not yeah. saying that's rea- reality, but I think that perception could change if if we chastise our speech a little bit in that sense of when we speak about abortion and conversation, we don't know who's had one, who's been affected by one, whose sisters had one. We, we just have no idea. It, it reminds me of like 10 years ago when, when there was kind of a shift in, in the way um, men spoke about homosexuals. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, you would tell gay jokes and you, would, you wouldn't even think about the fact that it's likely that one out of 10, two out of 10 here that those words really hurt them. So the culture has shifted. Now we don't we don't do that anymore. Hopefully, hopefully we're not doing that. You know, telling stupid jokes like that and then mm-hmm. and not even realizing we're we're actually offending people. So you, yeah, you think like in just in simple conversations, just amongst friends, amongst you know hanging out, uh, that it needs to be framed in a way that's around compassion and mercy for the woman. Is that what you're saying, Whitney? Absolutely. Well, and it may be how we conduct ourselves in conversations over Thanksgiving and conversations, you know, with neighbors and friends and coworkers that may be the difference maker as to whether or not we identify ourselves or other other Catholics, other pro-lifers as a safe place where a woman in need could approach or as a place that is decidedly unsafe to go for help. You know, if we talk about this the wrong way, we may guarantee that we'll never get the opportunity to serve a woman in crisis because mm-hmm. if she is in crisis, we're not registering as a safe place in her mind. Yeah, unfortunately, speaking the truth often comes across as judgmental in this culture. And so again, just be positive in your language. And I would also say build bridges where you can. I know it's really difficult, but like you know, so oftentimes you'll hear the argument, flawed as it is, that no child should have to grow up in poverty and a woman in poverty shouldn't have to raise, you know, X number of children. And so abortion needs to be legal. Now, I don't agree with the outcome, but I do agree with the sentiments, right? Like poverty is not a good thing for children. It's not a good thing for women who are often single mothers with multiple children. It's just not a good situation. So Instead of focusing in on the abortion issue, focus on the poverty for a little bit. Build that bridge. Say, well, I agree with that. I may not agree with your conclusion, but like, let's talk about poverty. What can we do to help these women? Uh, and then connect over that compassion. Right. So, so dismissing their compassion, say, okay, that's a stupid argument. Let's move on. So you're saying that's not winsome. People don't like that. <laughs> no, it's not winsome. Weird. Gosh. <laughs> Uh, okay, Whitney, this is great. I want to ask like just a, another another uh, question here. So much of our audience, you know, the Equip Cast, we're, we're talking about equipping disciples, and so all of this has a, a context in evangelization. To talk about like where does because you know we kind of like a woman, child, God. Where where does evangelization fit in? Where does where where, where does God fit into this conversation? Sharing the gospel, the good news. You know, I mean, Jesus loves you. Where and how does that fit in? So I would never be afraid to preach the kerygma when you feel called. Uh, but no, just like Jeff Caven said in um, one of the episodes that he was on with us, there are different moments where you, you preach it in different ways. And so um, yeah. it could be as simple as starting with God has a plan for your life. Um, and, and maybe not getting much farther than there, but like affirming her in that. Because uh, right, that's what's in doubt at the moment. Right, right. Um, so I think you can still preach the Kerygma. You may not get to like, and then sin messed that up, but Jesus saved you. You know, like you may not get that far, but you can still bring it in. You can still bring your convictions and your beliefs in, in a very compassionate way. But also, I don't know if we've talked about it on the Equipcast before, but I really, really like the thresholds of evangelization because I think while they talk about the very natural process that a human goes through as they change their mind on something in in the in this case as they are evangelizers they change their mind on god right uh but i think it can be applied in a lot of ways to 
the pro-life movement. And so without belaboring it, we have the five thresholds are trust, curiosity, openness, seeking, and follower. Um, and so I'll just start with the basic level. I won't like spend a whole bunch of time on this, but we can put something in the show notes for you to look at. Uh, but, you know, oftentimes when you're out in the culture, you're going to meet someone who doesn't even trust you because you are pro-life. So they don't even mm-hmm. want to talk to you about the topic. And so your first job before being like, let's talk about abortion or like, you're wrong about that is to get them to trust you because they're not going to be able to hear anything that you have to say until they trust you. And once you win their trust, then you can keep going down those thresholds, winning them further and further into the conversation. But I just think of, so I'll just tell a personal story, I guess, real quick. Um, A couple of years ago, I was at a pro-life event and some protesters came out and it was around the 4th of July. So they were throwing firecrackers into the street, not at the pro-lifers, but the pro-lifers felt very much like it was at them. And it came to this moment where these three, two men and a a woman with their firecrackers were confronting like a hundred pro-life people. And the pro-life people had their phones out and they were just like, you're on video and we're going to tell your apartment. And if you hurt us, we're going to charge you and all these things. And I, I just felt like, okay, I'm at this event. It's in the archdiocese and I have respect life apostolate stamped on my back. I need to do something about this. And so I just told a hundred pro-life people go inside. And then I turned around and they, they did. Thank goodness. Um, and I turned around and I walked over to these three people and I stuck out my hand and I said, hi, I'm Whitney. What's your name? And then they were, they were at first, they didn't even want to tell me their name. So I was like, actually, okay, I get that because of the threats you were just hearing. You don't have to tell me your name. Not on film anymore. Right. Tell me about yourself. Was, I don't even remember. I was just high stress, you know? Um, but, but the point- <laughs> Could have been the Holy Spirit, Whitney. <laughs> I was just like, something has to come out of my mouth. Um, but it, it started with, let's make this a human moment. You don't trust me because I'm clearly on their side and I just need to win your trust. And by the end of the conversation, nobody's minds had been changed, but they did say, well, I don't agree with you. And they're not cool, but you're cool. <laughs> yeah. Trust. Oh yeah. my gosh. And so now they know one pro-life person who treated them like a human being. And that implies that others wouldn't, but like it was a tense situation. I totally get it. Um, yeah. but they know one pro-life person that they can be like, they're not all bad. I think you're cool, Whitney. <laughs> Thanks. You know, Whitney, that totally resonates with me. And I'll, I'll discipline myself and not tell them, but I mean, I've hundreds of stories like the, you know, the, the missionaries, when I worked on college campuses, often a hotbed of life issues and kind of cultural debate, they, they used to love to do that. And just, they'd make friends and they'd play Frisbee and they'd, you know, go out for drinks and hang out with people. And I mean, literally one of, yeah, one of my favorites uh, favorite stories is just like you know, all these missionaries who had snuck into a pro-choice rally, listened the whole time. The kind of reveal moment at the end is one of the missionaries stood up and complimented one of the speakers who did a great impersonation of Lila Rose, um, who, if you're, if you're listening, you don't know Lila Rose is often a kind of a hero and leader in the pro-life movement does a lot of incredible work. And he stood up and he's like, you just totally nailed Lila Rose. That was fantastic. And, she's like, and I know that because I've heard her speak live several times because I'm pro-life. And, I, and then just like, you could hear the silence in the room. And it's kind of started like that and ended with like, you know, all of them going out for drinks and appetizers for hours of, of like conversation and friendship building. And that was, it was that same line that you got. You're like, wow. I mean, you guys are cool, um, and tra- translate like, no, you're you're human. You're nice. You are respectful. Mm-hmm. And it's just because I recognized, like, I'm not going to change their minds on this issue, not yet, anyway. <laughs> yeah, and can we be honest? You you you're also very you're you're a self defense artist. You're actually dangerous. So I knew you could take them anyway. See, oh, she's laughing, everybody. You guys can't see it, but she is, Whitney is deadly. Is it, a, is it Kung there Fu? There was a what little you? confidence going in there where it was like, okay, if this turns bad, I know how to defend myself. Yeah, you knew but, how to handle yourself. 
Could we post the video of that confrontation on the show notes? Pretty sure I told them to put their phones away and go, go away. As well. yeah. So we should that's not a, have That's them. a beautiful story. I'm just teasing you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's can I just say one more thing? I know I didn't put it in the notes, but I thought of it as we were talking. And I think it's partly what Father Lorg was saying. Um, I'm just really convicted that there are places and times for different pro-life arguments. But if you're affiliated with the church in any way, the church really needs to be a place of mercy. And so, like, because we want salvation for everyone. And so we want these women in particular, but also anybody else who's involved in the abortion to be able to come to the church and receive mercy. And so that's where the way we talk is also incredibly important. The types of slogans that we choose to use, the images that we choose to use, which is very important because a woman needs to feel that she won't receive judgment from the church, that she will receive mercy. Wow. I don't know if we can get better than that. I mean, we're, we're, yeah, we are, we are tasked with embodying the merciful love of the Father and truth, and, but, but you're, you're pointing out to us that the moment, the, the need, the grace that is particularly called for for a woman in crisis is for us to be able to embody that, that mercy. And post-abortive women is also what I was thinking in, in the confessional. Um, I've had priests tell me, because it's not a sin, they've, they've told me that women will confess miscarriages. And so I'm like, if women confess miscarriages, like how, how much more, you know, do they feel and confess and reconfess the sin of abortion? Yeah. Thank you, Whitney. Thank you for what you do. Um, everybody is listening. Again, those of you, whatever your place or, or role, however you have stepped into or, or not stepped into, uh, cultural conversations on, on life and abortion. We hope this has been an encouragement and a service. Um, it's our goal to equip you. So thank you for listening. If this has been a blessing and you want more, uh, go to equip.archomaha.org. There you can find the show notes. You can find all sorts of other blogs. All the episodes show up there. Uh, again, you're probably already subscribed, but you can find us on Equipcast, all one word all of the uh, major uh, channels. And if this has been helpful for you, and if you think it'd be helpful for someone else, go ahead and share it out. Pass along the message. Uh, we love you guys. Very grateful for all the conversation. If this has stirred something in you, go ahead and put something in the comments. We'd love to, uh, we'd love to hear from you and continue the conversation. Thanks.